you would remain standing and open your Bibles with me to Isaiah chapter 11. We're continuing our Advent series this year, walking through themes of Advent found in the prophet Isaiah. This week, Isaiah chapter 11. We'll read verses 1 down through verse 10. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, and the young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like an ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the wean child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. The word of the Lord. Father, give us a glimpse of this glorious place. Lord, show us today that this is the longings of our hearts. Correct us. Lord, show us Jesus and give us hearts of faith. Lord, we ask all these things not because of our power, but of yours. May your spirit be at work, opening eyes and unstopping ears, giving us soft hearts. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Christmas is great, it's fantastic, Advent is incredible to consider and enjoy together, but not because this world is so great, not because life is so easy, the celebration of the coming of Christ in flesh is a celebration precisely because things are bad, precisely because we need Advent what makes it so great. Advent is a season of waiting and longing. We pay attention in this season to what it means to wait, what it means to long. 
We all have longings. We long to belong, maybe to a certain crowd, the in crowd at school. We long for healed bodies, sharper minds. We long for relief from circumstances, whether it's relational, work, all kinds of things. We, we have longings. The whole world is full of longing, and there are a couple of ways that the world has, has tended to deal with longing. One, the more uh, religious kind of side of longing in life is stuff it down. Longing isn't good. Deny, deny, deny. The other answer that the world is typically given to longings is the opposite end of that spectrum, and it is this, let your longings define you. Be whatever you want to be. This is kind of the, the, the Disney version of, of longing, right? Just, just follow your heart. Right? And so I think that both of those responses to the, these longings that we all have as people are wrong. They're short-sighted. They don't include enough information to, to really get to the bottom of longing. You have to reckon with the true and living God and His Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Yes, yeah, so this be whoever you want to be is, um, is impossible and is going to crush you under the weight of it. And this deny, deny, deny is also impossible and you're going to get crushed under the weight of that. The Bible says we have longing because this world has fallen. That in Adam we were all plunged into sin and death. And so we have longing, we have lack. We ourselves are sinful. We have longing for what is ultimate and unchanging and true, righteous and good. This is what Advent is about. All those things that we can't be, that we are not, Jesus is. He came. As we'll see today, our text is about the first advent, but it's also about the second advent. We live between the two. We still live today as the people of God. Jesus has already come. Yes, He accomplished salvation's work. He rose from the dead. But we're also here with longing today in this room. We're longing for Jesus to return, to restore, to renew, make all things new. The text before us is defined beginning to end by this longing. And actually the setting of it is not a pretty one. It's a cut down forest. Have you ever seen a forest that has been cut down? Let me tell you, that is an ugly sight. They just cut acres and acres and acres at my grandparents' farm. It's ugly. This is a horrifying vision before us. Far from being a beautiful Christmas tree, this is a Christmas stump. That doesn't sound appealing, does it? Everyone, let's decorate our Christmas stump. The scene is devastating. It's where Judah's prophecy um, 
Isaiah's prophecy comes to, to Judah. And last week we heard about Ahaz contemplating uh, safety in the hands of Assyria. Very foolish move. Um, you're not going to be safe in the mouth of that lion. Um, by the time we get here, God is saying, I'm going to wipe you all out. I'm going to cut you all down. I'm going to use Assyria to judge, and then I'm going to judge Assyria. And at the end of this, it's just going to be a massive field of stumps. The political trouble wasn't the only trouble Israel had. See, unless you get into the heart of the people, you're, you're not going to understand Israel hearing this message that Isaiah has for them had been living for years in spiritual apathy and idolatry. They did not care. They did not care that they were the people of God and they were going to use God and leverage all the good things that they had from God to, to make their society better, to make them feel better, but they weren't going to honor God and they were going to do unjustly and we're going to read more about that in a little bit. So that, that's kind of the, the interior struggles in the heart of Judah. And as we heard last week, they had this looming threat of attack. The last scene, and we heard this in our call to confession of chapter 10, sets it up. Behold the Lord, the God of hosts, will lop the boughs with terrifying power. The great in height will be hewn down and the lofty brought low. He will cut the thickets of the forest with an axe and Lebanon will fall by the majestic one. Commentators are split. Is this Judah or Assyria? And it's clear that it's both. It's clear that it's both. He's using one to judge the other and then he's going to come in and wipe them out too. Everybody's cut down. God wins. What must that people feel? What kind of longing does a stump have? If that's you, if you're Judah, and this has happened to you, and everything that you knew about your life had been wiped out, what kind of longings would you have? And the honest reality is, apart from Christ, that's every single one of us. Utterly wiped out. No hope in and of ourselves. The text before us gives great hope. The answer for the people is this. A king. That's what you need. You're longing for a king. And this king brings hope to the world. This king brings wisdom to the world. This king brings justice to the world. And this king brings complete restoration to the world. That's satisfying longing. First, this savior, this king that brings hope to the world. Verse 1 opens on the scene of the field of stumps. Again, I just recently had a really close encounter with several stumps. You need to have it in your brain. Devastating scene. This is Judah. The people of God cut down by Assyria. Assyria herself cut down by God. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse and a branch 
from his roots shall bear fruit. All looks lost. Done, we, we lost this beautiful forest. Well, there's, there's going to come a shoot. A little branch is going to come up from this dead stump. This is so weird. The stump has a name. The name of the stump is Jesse. We heard who Jesse is. Do we remember? We heard about him in the lesson. Jesse is David's dad. David's dad. King David. This king is going to be from that same branch. Do you remember that God made a covenant with David? We saw this within the last year together. 2 Samuel 7, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up for your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom and he shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And God goes on and on with this promise. He says, listen, there will be an eternal king who will reign from the house of David. This is, this is picking up on that very same thing. All looks lost. Everything is devastation. The people are scattered. And God says, I'm going to send you a king. I'm going to send you hope. Judgment has come. But salvation is coming through judgment. Isn't that the way the gospel works? The cross looks bleak. Christ laid low, that looks bleak, and yet he, he raised from the dead. Conquering, it's glorious. So what do we do with these longings that each of us have? Good longings that go unfulfilled. Hope seems lost. Our bodies break and decay and we fall apart. Something at work falls apart. What do we do with all of that? Do, do we have room in our worldview for the answer to the longings that we have actually being a king? What if I told you what you actually need is this king that Isaiah is writing about? This shoot that comes up from a stump, that from judgment, something that's utterly been cut down. What if I said that that was what you're, you're deeply longing for? I think that's exactly what this passage is about. Your deepest longings for hope. You're, the thing that you want most is this king. Not only does this king come giving hope to the broken world, he comes bringing wisdom to the world, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of the, and knowledge of the fear of the Lord. This king that's coming into the world is not like other kings. He is not just qualified to be king because of his ancestry. Great, he was in the right line. He's from the stump of Jesse. Good for him. No, this king is incredible. We're given words here that can describe none other than Jesus Christ. We just saw in John, John the Baptist, when he baptized Jesus, he saw the Spirit of God descend on him and remain. That's exactly what this text is saying. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. 
Unlike any other king that sometimes the spirit comes and, and stays for a bit and then eventually leaves this king, the spirit of the Lord will remain on him. Isaiah wants to qualify what he means even further. He wants to teach us that this, this king that has the spirit of the Lord will, he, he gives us three couplets. The first is wisdom and understanding. These describe the Lord as a leader. He will be a leader like none other. Counsel and might, both of these words describe warfare. Not only will he lead people wisely, he will lead them in battle. And then lastly, knowledge and the fear of the Lord. These descriptors point to spiritual realities about Jesus. Sometimes when we hear fear of the Lord, we think, ooh, scared. But in the Old Testament, what the fear of the Lord means is that your whole life is oriented around who God is. That's what the fear of the Lord is. It's not that you're shuddering at His presence. You actually glory in the presence of God. And your whole life is oriented around who God is. That's exactly what it's saying about this king here. Will this king lead like David? David was a great king, right? He was excellent in Israel's history. Famous. No, David... David had tons of failures. Murderer, adulterer, horrible father to most of his children. He played favorites all the time. No, this king would be different. Filled with wisdom, profound understanding, discerning and powerful in counsel. Genuine in knowledge, rooted in the awe of who God is. His very delight would be the worship of God. What struck me reading through this this week is one very simple application, and it is this, I am not that. I am not that. I am not like that. I don't have these qualities like like Jesus. I am not this king. I think that's an important lesson for all of us to believe and to know and rest in. We aren't this. We're way more like these other characters in Scripture that are deeply broken. Abraham disobeying God and moving to Egypt and lying about who his wife is. Sarah laughing in God's face when she hears that she's going to have a child. Moses' public ministry begins with him committing a murder. We just went back through the record of of David and uh, it's going to be a while before I preach through that guy's life again. Person after person after person in the scriptures are broken sinners like you and me. We are not this God. We do not lead like Him. It's a beautiful lesson of Advent. Depend on Jesus. Stop depending on yourself. You aren't enough. When we're wondering who we can trust with our deep longings, we can trust this king. We're longing for a king that brings justice to the world. Look at verses 3 through 5 one more time. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. 
He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he will judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. Here's a great Christmas text. It's fantastic. And it's this. Justice is coming. Justice is coming. Does that sound like a Christmas lesson? We're talking about stumps and justice. This is the worst Christmas sermon ever. Well, that's exactly what Christmas is about. Justice is coming in in Christ. Earlier in chapter 10, we read, Woe to those who decree unjust decrees, and the writers who keep writing oppression, who turn aside the needy from justice, and to rob the poor of my people in their Uh, of their right, that widows may be their spoil and that they make the fatherless their prey. See, justice wasn't being done in Judah. They were trampling the poor and robbing widows. And God says, no, I'm not going to let that happen. God established His people as righteous and He calls on them to be just When others are being oppressed, it angers God. And you see this throughout the prophets. This king was not going to be like Ahaz. Consider all these contrasts in these verses. Far from abusing his people, this king delights in the fear of the Lord. Again, not cowering, but but loving the, the, the reverence of God. As opposed to judging people based on outward appearances how well they could articulate their case. This king is interested in the heart of the matter. He's interested in truth. As opposed to ignoring the plight of the poor and the meek on earth, this king will give them justice. As as opposed to striking the earth with the rod of steel, he strikes the earth with his words. That's what we get week in and week out when we get the gospel proclaimed. We get God striking again and again the world with His righteous word. Justice does not sound like a good thing for many prosperous Americans. We might not want to think about justice, especially now, it's this divisive word, but it, it permeates the scriptures. The way we treat one another, the way we treat the poor, the widow, the fatherless matters to God. Same with righteousness and faithfulness. These are really Christmas concepts of God coming into this world to to do exactly this, to do justice. It's interesting in Isaiah 11, there's no talk of power and long life, of pomp and pageantry of a king. There's only talk of a basic concern for justice and righteousness for the poor, the needy, the oppressed. The kings of Israel are defined by their lack of attention to these very things. And God says, not this king. This king that's coming, he's going to be perfect in justice. There's a lot of ways that we need to process this, but um, 
I'll just give us a couple. One, if you, if you don't have justice, then you don't have love. Love is motivated by justice and the other way around. Justice is motivated by love. The central problem with justice in Israel was that people hated their neighbor. And if you hate your neighbor, you can treat them however you want. You can't do that if you love your neighbor. That's one lesson. In Christ, we have both just and righteous judge. There are two ways that every, uh, every person has reckoned with um, or must reckon with justice. We just heard our text say that, that this king is going to come and strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. There's, there's two ways to approach this. The first way is experienced in the lives of unbelievers. Those who reject this king, they will have justice done upon them. But the good news is, there's another way. And that's Christ's first advent. Christ came into the world to receive a judgment that he did not deserve. He knew no sin, but became sin for us. That in him we might become the righteousness of God. He came to take our place. Perfectly righteous, perfectly holy, and yet he stood in our place in his life and sacrificially in his death as he went to the cross. He did not have to do that. He was not guilty. He was crucified for our guilt. He received judgment on the cross. Keller says, and I love this, the cross is where the judge takes the judgment. When Isaiah points us to this righteous judge, we need to look at the cross and see justice being done to cover us so that sinners though we are, we might be acquitted in God's court. Jesus summarizes both of these positions for us. Let me read in John chapter 12. Jesus cried out and said, whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. So that's one way. Facing the judgment of God as hidden in Christ. Believing in him. Here's the other way. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words, has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. Again, Jesus is both Savior and judge. This means, all this means that Christmas needs a response. We're called to respond to Christmas. The fact that God sent his Son into the world demands a response. Are we going to believe it? Are we going to trust the gospel. This Messiah who does justice in the world. Consider the heart of God for justice. If you ever start getting worn out by hearing justice and the ways that we're talking about in the world right now, read your Bible. 
Read your Bible. So then what happens as this justice comes to bear on the world? Here we get to the last portion that this king brings complete restoration. It's a really strange scene. Wolves laying down with lambs. Leopards laying down with baby goats. Calves and lions together like in a flock being led by little children. Cows and bears grazing together. Lions eating straw like an ox. A nursing child playing over the hole of a cobra or a toddler over the den of an adder. That is wild. If you just read, if you just read stuff like that in your Bible and you blow right by it, I feel sorry for you. Stuff like that should stop you. Like, what in the world is going on? What's going on here? This is the perfect, this is the perfect image for a prophet. And it's layered. One layer has to do with political power. These kingdoms that are warring and waging war are tied to animals. Assyria saw themselves as a lion preying on other kingdoms. Other, other kingdoms in those areas were considered the kingdoms of the bear. So you, you have this, at one layer, is look, there's going to be utter peace. Utter political peace. All the enemies and all the hostility, all the warfare, this is what the people can understand. It's all going to be stopped. Another layer is this. This is a picture of the earth as it was supposed to be. Completely restored, renewed, when small children could lead wolves and lambs and leopards and baby goats and calves and lions. It reminds me of dominion in Genesis 1. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, subdue the earth and fill it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves on the earth. This is the way things are supposed to be. This king comes to make all things new. To restore everything that's broken in the world and fix it. Take it back to the way it's supposed to be. This is what we are offered in Advent. The first coming. And we're still left with all these longings in between. And we look ahead to the second coming of Christ. New heaven. New earth. All things new. And that day, the root of Jesse... Yes, Jesus, this King of glory, is both the shoot and the root, will stand as a signal for the peoples. That word is literally Gentiles, the nations, others. This prophecy, you see, isn't just for Israel. It's for the whole world. This is good news for the whole world. This King is coming. This King has come. Advent is about the gospel. It's about our great king who brings hope, wisdom, justice, complete restoration. What we're left with is what are we going to do with this Christmas stump? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for these images of uh, glory and beauty.
Lord, would you shape us in these realities? Remind us today that our deepest longings aren't for things or status or anything that this world could offer. Our greatest longing, Lord, is actually for you, our King, our Savior. Lord, again, give us ears to hear and eyes to see. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.